Hi everyone, this is Megan with a correction for this episode. One thing that we take very seriously here at Fix SLP is accuracy. We do not delete comments or content that we got wrong. Instead, we work to correct it and so we can all learn from it. You can see a list of things that we've gotten wrong and we keep that list curated at fixslp.com. In this particular episode, our guest refers to the University of Maryland Having required the CCC in the past to graduate, she moves back and forth between present and past tense, and we want to clarify that the University of Maryland does not require the CCC to graduate from their programs. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Berg. And I'm Dr. Jeanette Benegas. And we are here to fix SLP. We are discussing the biggest challenges that are currently holding back the field of speech-language pathology. We present the issues with facts and invite you to be part of joining our movement to make things better, one conversation at a time. Let's fix SLP. Hi, Fearless Fixers. Welcome back. It's Jeanette. We have a really exciting episode today. Um, Yeah, through some professional connections, we were introduced to Dr. Angela Levenbrook, who's been around the uh, ASHA block a couple times. And she has has a lot of things to say. (laughs) So um, we're going to jump right in with her and then we'll get to some of our housekeeping stuff after. But Um, We just want to share with you who she is. So Megan, we don't usually do this, but Megan's going to go ahead and read her bio and then we'll just jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to read it because it's a hell of a bio. There's a lot (laughs) this woman has done and continues to do. So Dr. Angela Lovenbrook was in private practice in Rockland County, New York from 1976 to 2020. She is the author of numerous articles and along with Dr. Jane Maddell, am I saying that right? Maydell. Maydell, Dr. Jane Maydell, the first textbook about hearing aid dispensing for audiologists. Dr. Lovenbrook received her doctorate in audiology from Teachers College, Columbia University. She was the director of the audiology clinic at Teachers College and associate professor in that program. She has served on numerous boards and committees for several state and national audiology organizations and served as president of both the New York State Speech, Hearing, and Language Association and the American Academy of Audiology. She served as the first chair for ACAE. She has been prominent in the development of standards and ethics for the audiology profession and in lobbying for direct access to professional audiology services for Medicare patients. Most recently, she has been awarded the honors of the profession by the American Academy of Audiology for her work on behalf of audiologists and individuals with hearing impairment. Earlier in her career, she also served on many committees for for ASHA and also served on ASHA's board as vice president of standards. She became a fellow of ASHA. She was refused membership and accused of violating the ASHA code of ethics when she dropped her CCC in the early 2000s. And she has lived happily ever after since that time. <laughs> I just want to say that other than um, our hero and our unsung hero, uh, Dale Bogus, um, sh- this is an this is like early fearless fixer right here. She was the fearless fixer before anyone was fixing anything. Yeah. Her and Dale Bogus, they were fixing. Yep. Welcome. 
Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am thrilled to see what what's going on and what speech language pathologists are are coming to see um, as part of the problem of, of their profession and of the professional association that represents them. I mean, audiologists have fought this battle for quite a while and uh, we're a small group. Um, my own personal opinion is that audiologists have no business being in, in ASHA at all because ASHA is an association for speech language pathologists. And audiologists are represented very well by other professional organizations. So, um, and I and I really thought with uh, the when the AUD became a requirement uh, for uh, audiology that this that certificate would have less appeal. But it is so. Um, ASHA has had its fingers and its tentacles in so many places for so many years not the least of which is in academia, because that's where it all starts. Um, people are indoctrinated in their academic programs from day one to believe that if they do not buy that certificate, ad infinitum throughout their professional careers, that somehow their world will collapse. And, and, that, and ASHA has insinuated itself into so many regulations and laws and uh, policies and procedures that it takes years to kind of unravel it all to see where the problem originates and who believes, who, who was it that believed this lie about what that certificate uh, actually represents. So you have a huge job ahead of you um, to unravel it all and to help people understand how that certificate gets in their way. Um, it, it, to me, it always seemed like, um, like Asha treated us like a bunch of Girl Scouts, you know, and we're still trying to get our badges. And, and that's, <laughs> what it, it's infantilizing, I think. Yeah. Girl Scout uh, leader here. That's exactly what it's like. I love that analogy. Yeah, it and, is. And like a troop of seven-year-olds, and it's like herding cats and getting them their badge. Their badge, <laughs> correct. And that's what that's what people are still doing. Grown women, <laughs> and I say women because that's mainly what uh, who who is represented in that in that organization. So it's a bunch of grown women still believing that they have to get these Girl Scout badges every year in order to be considered uh, relevant and competent professional. Worthy, yeah. Can and you, like, so there's a lot of conversation happening right now that's like, but if we don't have the CCC, everything goes to hell. Like there's no regulation. Anyone can do anything. There's no competency standards. There's nothing. We would have nothing. Like, why would you want to get rid of this thing that's holding this whole profession together? What would well, you say to that? Let's break that down. The C's are not, the, the C's are nothing more than a continuing education certificate. That's all they are. The place where standards are important are in academic programs. I mean, it is, first of all, a professional organization, a major job of a professional organization is to define scope of practice and to define the, the knowledge, skills, and competencies that define a profession. So that's an important job that ASHA, and frankly, at, without ASHA, 
that job initially would not have been done. That organization and the volunteers, standards committees for years, ethics committees, they helped define your profession and mine. I have a master's degree in, in, in SLP. So I was a practicing, li- licensed practicing speech pathologist for the early part of my career. Um, and then got a doctorate in audiology and, and then stopped practicing speech language pathology. But um, ASHA did that work. There was no other organization to do it. And, and I, in the late 60s, that's when I first joined ASHA, mid 60s, late 60s. Very and so old. that would have been right around the time that they introduced the CCC, right? Exactly. That's okay. the time when they were beginning to work on standards and they introduced that certificate. And at the time, there was no licensure. There was nothing that legally defined what an audiologist was and what a speech-language pathologist was. So that work, that early work of ASHOS was critical because it did all that. It did, in uh, as an organization, it did an enormous amount of work and standards. And uh, there was a massive study in the early 70s that was a knowledge skills competency thing. They hired uh, the organization that runs, um, it's a standards organization and a testing organization. It still runs the Praxis test uh, for ASHA. They hired them and did this massive study to define what skills do speech pathologists and audiologists have to have? What knowledge, what competencies? Enormously important. And that work became the basis for licensure, which is the only legal, it's the only legal definition. It, it, it is the only thing that legally defines and separates SLPs and audiologists from other people who might lay claim to part of our scope of practice. So ASHA initially, opposed licensure tooth and nail. They did not want, and that was the, for me, that was the early sign that something was amiss in this organization because it didn't see how critical licensure was to the success of both professions as legal entities that could compete in a world of other licensed healthcare professionals. So and just for just for historical context for people listening, it was 1969 and Florida was the first state to install a licensing board because they were seeing all these fake SLP practices and ASHA had zero legal authority to shut them down. And they were like, we need some legal teeth here. And, and that's where And if you go back, I don't know if you can still find this on in anywhere in ASHA land, but a lot of early writing and opposition tooth and nail. And then they solved that problem by state by state inserting the C's, not the standards for the C's. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, the C's were a group of standards that you needed in competencies that you needed in order to start out as a competent speech language pathologist. Yeah. That's and the other problem that SLP has that audiology no longer has is that the vast majority of your training programs are in academic, not professional schools. So audiologists 
uh, let's take PTs and OTs and physicians and dentists and chiropractors. They get their training in professional schools. So the school is responsible for everything. They're responsible for the educational, the coursework. They're responsible for the internships and the clinical training. All of that is part of the degree. Speech language pathology, that's not the case. Any, it's, it, is the, it is the case now for audiology because we have a doctorate. So our academic programs are responsible for that uh, final fourth year where people are out getting their clinical experience. That's arranged by the schools. Master's degrees in speech pathology, all the school is responsible for is, the, is whatever you get in those two years, minimum number of hours. The vast majority of your clinical hours are obtained outside of the aegis of the academic program. They're, they've, they're done with you once you get your master's degree. They're done. And then the onus is on the, the student, the graduate, to go find the CFY year and get supervised and all that business. So, so you can't just say, you can't, for an audiologist, you can say an AUD is all you need to get a license because your all your clinical work is done then. Not true for this, for the yep. getting a master's degree doesn't and, and we talk about like how that's affecting consumers. Like, why is that okay with us? Why are we okay with Getting well, a job when we're not even it. fully. It has we to would be. never want our doctor getting their clinical hours practicing on us in their first nine no. months of cutting, right? Like, how yeah, does but, a you know, it, it, OTs and PTs for years they were an MA field, right? They still, I, I think PT now is PT re require a PhD and a doctor, a DPT. It's not a PhD. It's a DPT. It's a yeah, professional yeah. degree. Like audit, yeah. like the AUD is a professional degree. Yes. PhD is a research degree. And for years, uh, people who wanted doctorates in audiology, the only one they could get was this academic degree. It wasn't a practical degree. Um, I don't have an AUD. I'm too old. I mean, I was done. I'm old, you know, I'm 80. This is my 80th year. So I've been around a long, long time. And um, so that is a problem for SLP. That's one of your problems. The other major problem I think that, that you have in trying to really change ASHA and how it behaves about the certificate is the fact that of, I think 80 I think I'm right. I think about 80% of the SLP members of ASHA are public school speech pathologists. And is that correct? I can look it up real quick while you're talking. I, I think that it is. And, and the fact that the vast majority of ASHA SLP members practice within a school setting complicates your goal because in this, in an educational setting, lots of people do the things that SLPs do. Teachers of the hearing impaired, uh, teachers of the deaf, special ed teachers. I, I can't remember. There's a whole list of people. I'll give you one that they're really, really, really having problems with now that I, one of our fixers added us to a page and I've just been like in the rabbit hole with our ABA practitioners, big problem there that yeah. they're, they're even writing goals for SLPAs to treat by. So it's, yeah. 
and and what is that? Those are the ABAs are the people who work with a lot of autistic kids and those kinds of kids, right? Yeah. So yeah. lots of people claim to do what SLPs have as their scope of practice. And the vast majority of them are done in the public schools, where I understand now licensure is required in more public schools uh, settings. And SLPs are, you know, audiologists are often contract hires in, in public school settings. They're not in the educational thing. But SLPs are often hired as they're, they have to fit in as teachers. That's why they're called a lot of times teachers of the speech impaired or teachers of the communication, whatever word they're given. But not only do they have to keep up with these SLP requirements, but the whole educational system, they have other uh, metrics for deciding when you get a raise and, and when you're in a different hierarchy in terms of your salary and stuff like that. So in order to herd that group, that huge group of its membership, ASHA has worked really hard to insert that CCC requirement into every every certificate, every educational requirement that teachers have to maintain their certification to continue to get raises and salary upgrades and whatever promotions in the public school setting. And that is, that is, I believe, what ASHA is the most terrified about. They are the most terrified of losing their hold on that public school group which has the least reason to be loyal to ASHA. So, you know, if you're in a hospital setting or if you're in a private practice or if you're in other clinic, uh, you're defined by your licensure. If you're in a healthcare setting, you're defined by your licensure, not by your certificate. And lots of people worked really hard on licensure laws to, to change them so that CCCs were not required uh, to get your license. Almost all of them, I think every single one of them says the CCC or the equivalent. Right. There's one, one recently it, that requires the CCC. And that could be, that could be um, challenged legally yeah. because they're requiring you to buy a proprietary uh, private certificate you, that the state has no control over. Exactly. Megan, it's Nevada, right? Nevada, yeah. And I just Nevada. want to hop in and clarify. Nevada, do you hear that? I'm putting my hand up by my face, but none of you can see me like I'm making an announcement. <laughs> do you hear that? Get in, Pumble. Did, did you hear what she said? That can be challenged legally because they are requiring you to purchase a private a product to practice in your product. state. Go get them. Speak up. I, I woke up at 9 a.m. raging on Facebook about someone else's problems. So now we're going to take it out here. Go get them. Okay, go get them. Meet, meet us well, in the, we're, we're there. The key thing is you don't want to go to the state legislation and be like, we don't want to buy this product. You want to go to the state legislation and be like, you are putting yourself in a horrible situation. You are required. You're you're leaning on this certification product that is entirely out of your control that this company could change at any time and that is unmonitored megan mm -hmm. can i propose here is this where appropriate use of cease and desist letters could, could be implemented <laughs> where you're just gonna tell them to stop is that how an slp could appropriately use one? 
they just change that law in Nevada? They did. Somebody That's proposed that change. ASHA supported it and it went through. I do, before we get too much deeper into this, I do want to clarify that um, school SLPs make up, according to ASHA's member affiliate profile from 2022, they make up 50.3% of the body. And I I think that's probably changed a lot in the last 20 years as dysphagia has grown. Um, But I do think it's very, very weird that we have ASHA trying to sell a certification. We have licensing bodies, which is the gold standard for all other professions. And then we also have departments of education selling their own certifications. (laughs) And then you get these school SLPs who are still into all these buckets. That's an interesting uh, statistic, that 50%, because I know that that's less than it used to be. But if you take a look at, there's a, do you know about SOC codes, uh, standard occupational codes? Okay, that's an interesting place for you to go look because the Department of Labor defines and codes every single profession that there is. And it's via this, these standard occupational codes. And audiologists had a huge battle with ASHA over where we were placed in those SOC codes. Years ago, if you wanted to find audiologists in that occupational code list, you had to look under speech language. There was no no place for audiology. You had to look under speech language pathology, and then it was down underneath there. And speech language pathologists are listed as therapists, and audiologists consider themselves diagnostic and treating professionals. So the codes have been uh, redone. uh, Carol Flexer, one of the uh, presidents of ASHA, was the uh, of AAA, was the first to notice that we were in the wrong place there, and started uh, AAA's advocacy efforts to get us changed. But if you look at, uh, it's, a, it's a wealth of information. If you look at the SOC code for speech language pathology, there are charts there that tell you where the vast majority of SLPs, people who call themselves SLPs where they are employed and 80% of them are employed in public schools. So Mm -hmm. it gives their average hourly rate. You can get an enormous amount of information, but um, as a result of the work of audiologists, speech language pathologists position in that standard occupational code list, it's what employers use to decide which are equivalent professions that define the professions. It's a standard um, coding system for every single profession in the country. So take a look at that. It's under the Department yeah. of Labor. But if you Google SOC codes, I, I think I sent you a, I might've sent you a link okay. uh, earlier today because I thought you'd find it interesting. But believe me when I tell you that the, the, the public school membership of ASHA is a critical membership group to it because it's still the largest group, you know, so 50% mm-hmm. of them are speech pathologists. And then, you know, how many are in yeah. small or much smaller numbers are in hospital settings or in, and probably in every other setting, licensure is 100% of the time, the legal requirement. Um, and most licensure laws allow for other methods of, of maintaining your license. Lots of places where I've read uh, ASHA and ASHA is responsible for this. They say, well, yes, you get your degree and your license. And then some people go on to earn the CCC as if earning the CCC is some higher requirement than licensure. And it isn't. It's the same exact 
thing. In some cases, it's harder to get the license. Yes. Yeah. So I want to ask a question. I've been sitting here like processing. I'm still on this rampage about suing in Nevada. Um, I want to ask a question and I, I'll see what you think. Um, There are some insurance companies like Medicaid in 11 states. And then this, we found out yesterday, very few numbers, small handful of private healthcare insurance companies that require the CCC. Is that also something that could be challenged legally? Absolutely, because they somehow have been led to believe that that is sort of like board certification. Okay, because- we're, we're, we're trying to develop the state, the sustaining partnership program where, you know, we maybe hire a law firm and people are asking, well, what are they going to look at? I think this is a very good first step. Megan and I had no, no prior information. So I, this is just, but this this might be something we have a law firm with attorneys nationwide that they look at. Because triple a again, had a law passed that required Medicaid to stop using the C's as a requirement for audiologists. And we won that. So the Medicaid definition of audiologists does not specify the C's, still does for speech language pathology. Why? Because in the public schools where you sometimes have unlicensed SLPs, they don't have to have a license, but they're SLPs, they're billing Medicaid So in those states where licensure doesn't cover SLPs, Medicaid has that, they wanted that requirement in there for some credential. So, sorry, can we talk about this? Because my understanding is Medicare is federal regulation and in Medicare, the CCC is not required, but you're talking about Medicaid. Yes, but Medicaid is covered by the same federal law as Medicare is, Medicare and Medicaid. So when I... When I emailed Medicaid is a state run program. So they, there are certain, um, uh, the federal Medicaid law requires a certain number of um, services that must be included in every Medicaid law on the state level, but the states don't have, they can choose to provide other things. They don't have to. And they can set up their own requirements in a lot of instances. So SLP is a problem for them because SLPs in the public schools are billing Medicaid for some of those services for for, uh, Medicaid-eligible children. But in some states, licensure is not required for SLPs in the public school. They're teachers of the speech impaired. It's such a mess. It is a mess. It's such a mess. So, so when I, when I talked to CMS, I, I specifically asked them, I was like, I I understand that the federal regulation does not require the CCC, but if a state has a regulation, does that supersede federal regulation? And they said, yes. And and that didn't used to be the case. So they said, if a state adds a regulation that supersedes the federal one. Yeah. So they're, their commentary was basically, and I can pull up exactly what they said. So I requested assistance from our Medicaid staff. They indicated that there are no known federal requirements for a certificate of clinical competency, only state licensure. We believe this is best answered by the state Medicaid provider regarding 
what they are referencing with that statement of certificate of clinical competency. States can have more stringent requirements than the federal statutes. In addition, providers are required to follow all applicable federal, state, and local laws. Providers are required to follow the most stringent requirements. Okay, so there you go. The CCC is not more stringent than state licensure. They have been led to believe that it is, but it is not. And if you go to the state of Nevada, or, or, or I don't know, any state where Medicaid still requires the C's for SLPs to participate in that, if I were doing this, I would go line by line through what the licensure requirements are in that state and what the CCC requirements are and, and demonstrate that the C's are not more stringent. They are simply a duplicate and the state is requiring providers to buy a proprietary certificate when the license is an equivalent um, document. I mean, it almost seems like a an efficient approach could be to go to departments of ed and be like, you need to require a license or go to this. I mean, I don't know who controls like our schools and just in their own little world with regulations. You know, uh, no, there's, uh, there's departments like in Ohio. Ashley there's website has every state requirement. I just was on there today. Looking at I just don't understand how you can work as an SLP without being licensed. Like, how is that even legal? You can. Because they're teachers. Yeah. Because they're teachers. Like in Pennsylvania. They but have they're not a, teachers. They, they are, are in the state teachers. of Pennsylvania. They have it. They, they, so in Pennsylvania, you have to take extra classes. Like, remember, we've talked about this before. Yeah. I even, I could never get licensed as a, an SLP working in the schools in PA unless I take like three additional courses in education. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So schools in Pennsylvania, as part of their programs, automatically like prep that's part of their coursework as undergrads is they have to take those courses so when they leave school when they graduate they're prepared to get that that yeah. license that teaching let me just like and frankly if you tried a lot of people become slps not because they want to work in clinical settings working in, in hospital settings with all of the swallowing and dysphagia and all that. They become SLPs because they want to work in the public schools. They don't, they don't want to be teachers, but they want that teacher setting, schedule, salary thing. They want that. So, so you have to sort of be careful what you're messing with here because in a lot of instances, public school SLPs have used those C's to their advantage. It's gotten them things. I'll give you one example. Years ago, I don't know if this still exists, but there used to be this thing called master teacher. And teachers in the public school could take on extra coursework, um, they had to create an actual portfolio to show they had to be observed and they, and they created this portfolio and then, and they became something called a master teacher. And what that got them was a boost in salary and a boost in other, their place on the, on the spectrum of things in the public schools. 
Asha went to those departments of education in those states where that master teacher thing was and convinced them that somebody who got a master's degree in SLP and then got the C's was the same thing as these teachers who had gone through this years long process of preparing this portfolio, getting all yeah. this extra education. And so SLPs then were able to use those C's to get that same boost. ASHA has used a, a, an inflated definition and they've been very successful at to, to make people think that that CCC is something that it is not. And, and that, and that standard has changed a little bit. It's now like master's plus 30, master's plus 45. And there's no, to my knowledge, at least in Ohio, there's no portfolio or anything like that. If you complete the coursework, you get the raise. And so most teachers, to my knowledge, and I'm sure we'll get emails and angry <laughs> comments if I'm wrong, if, you know, if you've completed your master's degree, a lot of times we have the plus 30 already or we're awfully close right um so yeah that that's how they sort of do it now it's not a master's teacher it's like a plus 30 plus 45 plus 60 whatever right, but i i mean i've heard of, i've heard people say that like if teachers get board certified then the ccc is equivalent i think that's still happening yes today. that's still a thing <clears throat> that lots of schools are negotiating for an additional stipend and we've see, seen some really high numbers. I think one yeah. person told us they get $9,000 a year or something, which it, what Megan and I have continued to say is that we would tell these people, you're someone who needs to keep your CCC. Like we, there, there are people who should keep it and who can make that choice. The point of this movement, this platform is that people have the choice. So if I'm making $9,000 a year with my CCC stipend, I choose to keep it. But if Megan's not, she should have the right to not have to pay for the CCC. And, and, and also, that's what we want to see. Probably nobody would object to ASHA selling a continuing education certificate if they simply called it what it was. You know, I would have stayed a member. I would have I would have been a member because I get information from you know I just got a good website. There's information there. I, I worked with hearing impaired people. Many and children had speech language difficulties. I wanted to keep informed. I didn't want to buy that certificate. I didn't need it. Yeah. I didn't need it. And, and the I, the notion that the only person that can supervise somebody was somebody who's buying that certificate is ridiculous. Yeah, um, and insulting. So. But they they won't do that. And that's what they should do. Let's say they charged everybody who wants to, quote unquote, maintain their C's, that CE registry, 50 bucks a year. They've got 200,000 members. You know how much $200,000 times $50? They could still make a fortune from doing nothing more than being a registry for your CE hours that you could then use for your license to say, see, I completed... I completed the CE requirements or yep. equivalent to the state requirements, 50 bucks a year. I'd pay for that. Well, and based on their financial report, we'd calculated that it should cost them around eight to $12 a year, just in what it costs them, according to them to run their certification program. That's what okay. it should actually cost. So us. 50 bucks a year, pay them that, you know, it's not the 200, $250 a year is nothing for membership. And and I saw your chart today that said it's not the 250. It's that they're lying about what it is. They're not calling yeah. it what it is. 
it, it, they have a they might have a useful product. That certificate is a useful product. They should sell it as that, a useful product. They should not pretend that it is anything more than what it is. And certainly for audiologists, it's it's ridiculous that audiologists have doctorates. Anybody with a master's degree who graduates from a program accredited by ASHA, by definition has, has completed an academic program that contains all of those standards. And then they get that CFY year, which is nine months. It's still nine months. It's nine months because that's what the public schools are. Nine months. That's why it's nine months, not a year. It's a. It's not a CFY. It's a CF nine months. <laughs> <laughs> All geared to the public schools. So yeah. take a look, I would say, at um, challenging um uh, Medicaid laws, not suing. Yeah. Can we, can I just, and I know Jeanette wants to talk about it, but like, just so I'm clear and everyone listening is clear when you're hired by a school district as a psychologist, you're hired as a a licensed psychologist. When you're hired by a school district as an occupational therapist, you're hired as a licensed occupational therapist. When you're hired by a school district as a speech pathologist, you're hired as a teacher. Sometimes some states some states require the license. Okay. So we need to, we need to dig into that and figure like out. Like in Ohio, you, you have a, there's a different type of license for a speech language pathologist. I can't think of the name right now because I did, I hung on to it. Yeah. I, I deeply relate to this. I hung on to it for years and years after I stopped working in the schools because I was afraid to let it lapse because I was afraid to like what I would have to do to get it back. Even though I started going to school to get a PhD focusing on dysphagia and dementia, I'm still paying for the school teaching certificate just in case. Um, but somewhere in there, they did change it. And it, so I, I, again, I can't remember what it is, but. You know, and you, you, you understand that when you get a master's degree, you do not get a master's degree in speech language pathology. You get a master's degree in a discipline, communication disorders and whatever the hell it's called. Speech and now. hearing science. Speech and hearing yeah. science. It's not, whereas an OT, when an OT hmm. gets a master's degree, they get an they get a master's degree in occupational therapy, a master's degree in physical therapy. Physicians get a, a, a doctor of medicine degree. You don't get a doctor of speech language pathology degree. You get a doctor of some science, unless you're in a, hmm. uh, a, I don't know if they're professional programs, but but it is all because of our origins in academic programs. We came out of uh, drama, you know, speech and drama programs, yep. Um, yep. communication. Uh, we, we came out of an academic place. This is, and, this is my master's degree that just happened to be hanging out on the table. Say, and it just says master, master. of arts. It doesn't even say speech. There's nothing because, about speech on because here. they can't. They can't. That academic program cannot qualify you or call you a speech wow. language pathologist. Your your practical training. They have nothing. No responsibility for that. Yeah, and it's my, all I'm pretty sure here. my PhD said something different, but that's in a different room. I just had that out for a different reason. I'm I just had to realizing. Yeah, I don't even know what my degree was in. I don't even know. 
Master of well, Arts or master Why master isn't it framed, hanging on your wall with your with your certificate okay, of political master competency? MED, Master of Education, MS, Master of Science, MA, Master of Arts. PhDs, usually it's not going to say speech language pathology. I'm about PhD to go find it. don't say that. They say PhD and they don't say PhD in audiology. AUD is audiology, but PhD, no. You're getting PhD in a discipline, uh, acoustics, acoustic so, science, something, not in so audiology. Audiologists have made huge strides in ensuring that entry-level competency is in place without the CCC or the CFY. And in fact, like we're gonna, we're about to post information on this, like so do OT, so does PT. Like we, it's it's asinine to me that we hold on to the C's as some sort of like competency regulatory but the standard. The difference is that the academic programs in audiology in PT and in OT, they are professional schools. So yeah. the clinical requirements, the practicum requirements are yes. included in the degree program itself. And the academic program, the professional school program is responsible for them. So we have another episode called Practice Analysis Paralysis where we talk about the practice analysis and like all of the research that goes into setting the standards. And the way that ASHA has written that practice analysis is they they set it up so that you only can learn a certain amount in grad school and then most of it is learned after you leave grad school. And so when they're saying that the CCC is evidence-based, they're saying that it's based on this practice analysis survey and the, the way the survey is written is designed to keep the CCC alive and well, like um, until that analysis or that survey changes. Ruth, if you added the, 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 the necessity to obtain all of those practicum hours within the master's degree program, people would be paying for, I mean, how many credit hours now is it to get a master's right. degree? Now you add the more practicum hours, the school would be charging you tuition for those hours. So the cost of a master's degree would be enormous. The way it is set up now your academic program is finished with you after two years. They don't have to worry about where you get. And ASHA has set it up so that it's the professional responsibility of people yeah. practicing speech language yeah. pathologists to provide primary education for zip, for nothing. We we call that the MLM, the the SLP multi level marketing scheme. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have my PhD here now. And uh, there's a lot more words on the degree, but it says that I da, 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 did all these things, satisfactory completion of the course prescribed in the graduate school. And it's a degree of doctor of philosophy. There's no. That's right. I, mean, I, I could go out and say I did academic some degree. other kind of work. And just show them this degree and no one would know the difference. So your professional. Unless they read my dissertation. Professional status is not defined by your degree because it's from an academic program. They were not responsible for any practicum you did. Well, this was a PhD, so you don't do practicum. Well, in audio, in a, in a professional degree, you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a well, and, philosophy. And this is a good point to say, like the SLPD program 
those programs are not part of the CAA. ASHA has nothing yeah. to do with regulating SLPD yeah. programs. Those are regulated by the Department of Education. How the hell did that happen? Like, how is our profession just like being scattered to the wind? And like, whoever wants to come regulate, just get in the, join the club, join the line, get in line. Free so money. We can all pay you. Yeah. Like, Free money. What? Get in. We're but, gonna, let's do a fixed SLP it's, degree it's with our ACE award. Your master's degree programs are accredited by ASHA. Yeah, CAA. And, and you should take, I mean, I have some testimony before the Department of Education about the CAA because the CAA used to require Let's as a condition of accreditation that the C's had to be part, that the C's they had did? to That oh, used yes. to be a thing? Yeah, we Somebody... went in hours and hours of testimony and the Department of Education told ASHA they had to stop, which is when... This whole business came about that, oh, yes, you, you, you have to have a supervisor who has the C's only for students who wish to get their C's. You can go get a supervisor without C's if you want to, but you can't count those hours towards getting your C's because those people aren't qualified. In my this practice, is oh, yeah. That's so, so the Department of Education told the CAA that they could no longer use that requirement. Oh my God. Okay. For so accreditation. For people who are but, like, we need to fix ASHA from within. This is why we need an external force keeping ASHA accountable because they're pulling stuff like this. Sorry. But also, so now, yes. The, okay. First of all, I have two things to say about that. Recently, because I am the social media monitor, somebody actually said, some programs require the CCC before you get your degree. That might be someone who's older, maybe, because we have a lot of people who state things as fact that don't actually know the, the facts. Um, so it sounds like if that's actually, if you're listening and that's actually happening, let us know we have a problem. Um, that statement could have been- I know for a fact that some people, I'll give you, I believe the University of Maryland requires- the C's as a condition of graduation. Still. Those get their C's before they graduate. They take the praxis before they graduate. It's a requirement. And and they weren't going to graduate now. They that, have, sorry, they have to do their CFY and then they graduate? No, they have to in the, to get their CF. program, the, in the Doctor of Audiology program at the University of Maryland, I believe. Oh, the audiology program. This is one example. In order to get the degree... They had to get their C's. It was a requirement of graduation, which I thought, how can a state university have a requirement for a student to have to purchase a proprietary certificate in order to graduate from that program? Let's let's play conspiracy theorists. Maryland, University of Maryland, where's the ASHA <laughs> office? I, I do believe that there are some programs that require it of their graduates. Most programs tell their graduates that it's critical that they get their CS. Yes. There are some programs that don't do that, but most. And so, yes. And so then the second part of this is it, because we've been saying this all along, and I don't think people are quite hearing it that because we get a lot of questions about 
um, having your C's to supervise. This is not what you just heard her say. This requirement is not an ASHA or a CAA requirement that you have to have your CCC to supervise. This is a requirement of the program. The program has written into their accreditation like program. What, like, it's written, what, they, what they've written into their program is that if you want your C's, you have to be supervised by somebody with their C's. That's written in the program. Right. But so I've talked recently in the past couple weeks, I've talked to a couple people in academia specifically that there is this box that says you have prepared your students for licensure and national certification and all these things and you just check it. But in terms of like what they submit to the CAA to be accredited and maintain accreditation, they have to have a plan on how they're going to do that. And some universities write in that plan that their supervisors must have the CCC. Because one person I said, we'd have to, that I talked to said, well, if we ever changed that, that, that would, we'd have to go up for reaccreditation. And that's a whole, that's a whole thing. Um, and, and another person told me, well, if, if you succeed with this, this is going to close programs. And I'm thinking, why would it close programs? If, if they have it written into their policy, then take the time and change it. Don't put the, don't put the burden on practicing. never really informed its academic yeah. programs that no. they accredited that they didn't have to have that requirement right. anymore. Right. And they just they let these rumors perpetuate and then they make it, they, they make they make it, they make practicing clinicians who are underpaid and overworked and who are caring and in this profession because they are nice and want to help people, they make us feel like it's our responsibility to uphold this freaking system that like all the university has to do is change their policy. Correct. Have a staff meeting. You don't even have to go up against a board. I mean, now, in terms of like, yes, it, this isn't even coursework where you have to like get it approved by your like, at a university, there's typically a committee that you have to, a curriculum committee. This isn't curriculum, but it might take somebody high, like another committee higher in the university just who checks and balances or whatever. But if the department is coming forward with a, with a plan that makes sense, they're presenting to like, math colleagues and an English colleague, you know, even if there's somebody else who needs to look at this, they don't understand. Give them the well thought out plan and why we're putting in for this change. And people will say yes, because hey, no one wants to sit in those meetings anyway. No one's trying to fight it at the university change, level. that you're asking for is that in order to get in order to be certified, you have to be, in order to be supervised, you have to be supervised by a licensed professional. Yes, that's it. That's, that's all. It. And, that's, and so if, Asha, it's not that hard. And ASHA could not use that as a reason to deny accreditation. And I have another suggestion there. If universities have written that very thing, like you have to have a CCC, then ASHA should just say, Anyone who is making change to that statement alone, you can't make any other changes, 
But anyone who wants to change from CCC, a, a supervisor who holds the CCC to licensed clinician, if you want to change that verbiage, we will give you a grace period of two years to do that without having to go up for reaccreditation or whatever reason to go for reaccreditation. That but is not, that's what PhDs think. So unless they're gonna educate, you know, the, but that, the, these are the things that at least Ash is not going to do. They're not going to no, change anything. No, but at least the PhDs who are at least engaging with us and thank you if you're listening, because we appreciate these like really great conversations. Um, that these are the things they're saying. These are the things they're afraid of. Well, Programs closing, reaccreditation. How will we ever get our students through the program? These are the fears of academic SLPs. And who and who in God's name will but run the, the profession? So I mean that goes back to the the original sort of conversation of like academic SLPs are feeling the weight of having to fully prepare SLPs. But what we're saying in this conversation is that's not how the system is set up. So why do they feel so much responsibility for that? They shouldn't. But I I understand we're not going to change people's minds. It's just it's just a Every broken tower. system. Mentality. Academic program. You do have a certain number of hours of practicum that have to be completed 400. within four hundred. <laughs> um, and the twenty five at twenty five of that is just guided supervision. So like that's done at undergrad, and then the one on one is. 375. Still, 375 is all the academic program is responsible for. And, and they are telling students that those 375 must be obtained from a, a person with the C's. Not true. In the event that they eventually want, like, I think no, universities not don't want to be in the I know, event. I know, I understand that, but I, I think they're doing that because they don't want to be sued. They don't want to misconstrue what they're yeah. selling. And but but they are also they go further than that. They say you have to you, you have to use a, a supervisor who's got the C's if you want to apply for your C's. And if you don't get your C's, you're not going to be able to get licensed if you move from state. You'll yeah. you'll have terrible trouble getting. You won't be able to get all a job fear. if you don't have your C's and all of that business. Um, so uh, they use the and the and argument for pushing people to purchase and to bolster this financial um, bullying that ASHA has done for 100 years, 75 years, 80 years, however long they've been around. It's a long time. Yeah, they're so, about to turn 100 this year yeah. next year. Yeah. So. so you have done a lot of work. You've gone and testified many times. You have been called forth by the ASHA ethics board for when you were a member of ASHA, but you were did not I holding the seeds. But when I sent in my dues, I sent, what I did was I paid them just to be a member. And I said, I didn't want my seeds anymore. So I did that. And then I was, you know, I had, I was an ASHA member without seeds. And I was still responding on boards, you know, on, I was responding and somebody reported me. They said, Angela Lovenbrook is a practicing audiologist who does not have her C's. She's a member of ASHA, but she doesn't have her C's and you're not permitted to do that. So that I got a letter from the ethical practice board at the time saying you have violated the code of ethics. I hired a lawyer. I went and had a hearing before the ASHA ethical practice board 
where they, I said to them, I have done nothing unethical. I, I maintain the highest standards of ethics. What I have simply done is to not pay you for your certificate. I continue to get continuing education credits. I have proof of that. I have done nothing unethical. Tell me what I've done that's unethical. And so they, they went away. And then the next thing I knew was I got a letter from them saying, oh, it was a mistake. We never should have let you join because you don't meet the criteria for being a member only. The criteria for being member only status in ASHA is that you may not be a practicing audiologist. I was a practicing audiologist. Therefore, I could not only be a member. And that yeah. was their response. Yeah. So what, what would you say to people who are afraid of ASHA? I would say that ASHA ha only has a hold on us because we continue to give them that status. And that people en masse started to say to ASHA, I don't want to buy your certificate. That certificate's too expensive. I want to be a member, but I don't want to be a, I don't want to buy your certificate. Then ASHA would have to change its structure. Uh, I would also, as a, as a, state organizations are really important here because many of these regulations are on the state level and, and state organizations have to challenge them. And the other thing is that we all have to be bolstering licensure laws to make sure we have the strongest possible licensure laws. I mean, my argument is if you want to tell me that there's, that, that, um, there's a certificate that has a higher standard than licensure because somehow those are, those are important qualifications for a practitioner. Then I would say everybody deserves practitioners who have those qualifications. If it's important, then it should be part of the licensure law because everybody deserves to have the highest qualified provider, not just some few. So ASH has got to change its structure. It's got to start calling that CCC what it is, continuing education certificate, sell it as that, and then change their membership structure. That's what they need I to mean, do. I mean, they could even have two certificates because the CCC is a one-time training milestone. It indicates that you've done all these things, X, Y, Z, boom, done. You pay for that, you, you get it. And then they could right. sell another. I mean, they could have multiple certification products if they want right. to sell a continuing education certification. You want If you want Girl Scout badges for getting the most, <laughs> you know, CE credits, you if that's important to you, then you can do that. If that gets you something in your workplace, then you can buy that. But everybody shouldn't have to. And the licensure, the licensure should be the standard. That should be stringent. That's what that we should spend separate. our energy on. Yeah. yeah. That should separate it. And, you know, I think that some things have changed since I was a young person like you. I was, my training and uh, my master's degree and, and my doctoral training, the, the responsibility to be part of professional organization, to give your time, both on the state level and on the, on the national level, that was part and parcel. I mean, we knew that that was as much of our responsibility as anything we were ever going to do for patients. And we did. And I don't think that that's true now. I start, you know, I started, I tried to start an audiology organization in New York State because New York State doesn't have a New York Academy of Audiology. It has the New York State Speech Language Hearing Association, which I was president of for two terms. They represent both speech language pathologists and audiologists. Licensure boards are licensure boards for speech language pathology and audiology, in spite of the fact that 
they're two separate professions. You know, yeah. it's like having a licensure board that licenses both uh, physical therapists and physicians, you know, chiropractors. Yeah. It doesn't, so you can't get people to volunteer, can't give people to give their time. And um, I, I think that the notion of the importance of individual efforts on the state level, state level is critical. And then on the national level, for unsexy things, you know, writing standards, it's not fun. Writing codes of ethics, not a lot of fun, but critical to the profession. So that's that would be my advice. One challenge that we're seeing, um, even through our efforts, is that some of these state organizations are run by people in academia who are who who and these are quotes that we have received when because we invited every state to come on our podcast for the state by state series, which has been a huge hit. Um, people like hearing about their state. Um, we've gotten some feedback that from one state in particular, that as soon as their episode aired, their requests for membership skyrocketed. They reached out to us. We didn't even follow up to ask that question. They told us. Um, but some of these states that have either formally declined or who just ignore us, we've heard from people on those exec boards, we were told to toe the ASHA line, or we don't want to throw ASHA under the bus. Um, Michigan is trying, there's a group in Michigan right now trying to change the Medicaid regulation to get the CCC out of it. And they sent letters to their state association and that association said, we're not doing this. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to go with our own agenda pretty much is what they said back. And that's ludicrous. You're, you're supposed to be serving the members of your state, whether you're, it, if you're in academia, fine. You get accolades and raises and tenure and promotions and all of these things for serving on those committees. But if you are serving, you need to serve the members, not serve your well, own agenda. Their members don't have any idea. Yeah. But like in Michigan, they have an idea. They're asking, can we partner with you to work on this? No. No. That was the answer. Why, no. Why is it that we feel like if we're questioning something with ASHA that we're throwing them under the bus. Like, why is that? Well, that's cultural... always been, uh, it's called ASHA bashing. It's not allowed. So I think, I think they have to be taking notice. I think that you have to keep uh, informing speech language pathologists, what this means to them. Um, and, um, and then, I mean, do take a look at this. So that's the SOC codes. I think that'll inform, give you some more information. Um, and I think partnering with state associations is a really important thing because a lot of regs come there. Be another example um, uh, to get a job in a hospital. Um, hospitals will tell SLPs and audiologists they have to have their C's because it's a requirement of uh, JCAH, the Joint Commission Commission on. It's not. It we looked not. it up. We right. we got Neither, that. Answer. It's not required of CARF either. Our no, fearless voices are all and over yet, it. It's, and it's because it's been presented to the hospitals as if that is the equivalent of board certification. Or how about this? Megan, I haven't even told you about this one yet. 
I recently took a job with a home health company who had no idea what the CCC was. I was so proud of them and praised them. But when I was signing the paperwork this week, I was going through the job description and it didn't even say you had to have the CCC. It said ASHA membership preferred. And I was yeah. like, I looked at the People HR lady. I'm like, I was like, what is this? And she's like, I don't really know. And I was like, well, it's in your paperwork. And so she looked at it because it was all electronic. And she's like, oh, that probably came straight from CHAP. So CHAP is the accrediting body that they use. And so she's like, that is probably the job description that we're using from CHAP. So with CHAP, they don't care if you have your CCC. They just prefer membership. Well, you can't be a member without the CCC. So, yeah, I was like, well, at least it says preferred. Oh, I said, we'd, we'd have to discuss this if it was required. Yeah. And so, but, but that, you know, it is a, it's a strategy. It was a strategy that was a decision at an executive board meeting of ASHA to, to do exactly what they've done with the C's to make them required in as many places as they could and to and to kind of distort their budget process so that it looks like everything they do is that certificate work. Um, I wanna, I, I'm still holding my one question inside about lawsuits and the CCC. So what about these companies? Like in the state of Ohio, the CCC is not required for anything. We're pretty free here. Other than employers requiring it can do you think that can be challenged legally if they're not paying for it because or is it because they're private companies they can require whatever they want i think a lot of times they're requiring it because they don't understand even what they're requiring um i don't know i i'm not a lawyer so this i don't why we need sustainability or sustaining partners yeah. people come on in I, I we need that, a firm you know, to to be a um, a discriminatory or a um, trying to think. Oh, I like that I, I, word though. That's a good word. Discriminatory. It's discriminatory for for no reason whatsoever because it has nothing to do with the competencies required for the position. So can I ask? Just I mean, you've been at this for. I mean, yeah. audiologists have been fighting Asha this, for. I had black hair when I started working. <laughs> So like Jeanette and I have talked a lot about how do we want to move forward? And I know audiologists move forward by creating an alternative membership association. And that's one tactic. And the way that Jeanette and I are approaching this is different in that we want to create this advocacy firm and we want to be supported by very small monthly donations from sustaining partners because there needs to be a counteracting force to keep ASHA accountable. Given like how you've seen things evolve and unfold with audiology, do you have any advice for us as we move forward and try to build something that is that force? I think starting a new organization is an enormous task and um, just an enormous task. I, I think that um, doing get you speech pathologists i think have a better chance of getting change from within than audiologists did because we were such a small group that they didn't care what we wanted they were they were mostly concerned about their slp membership as they should be it's you know 90% 95% of their membership but you want to start getting people elected to the board um who run 
on uh, um, a campaign that says they want to change the CCC. You want to start getting people to do but that. But the problem is that we they've changed the election policy, so it's it's done through a committee. And you have to be vetted, and there's no way that if they that any of us would survive the vetting process. Could you imagine if Megan or Jeanette were put forth as a person? They already know us by name. They'd be like, no, that we don't even need to vet them. No, they would say no. So, yeah, we would never only... be able to go up for, uh, we would never be able to be elected. But others who I share. Would be the, I mean, I don't know what their vetting process is, but I imagine it has something I, to do with have To get people. I think you're going to have to keep challenging them. Every regulation that you find that requires those C's, you need to challenge. And, yep. and you can do state by state on the federal level. You can do that. Just start asking questions, start pushing um, and getting people to do that. Um, state licensure boards, that's another place where, where you can go uh, because you have, to, you have to loosen the hold that ASHA yeah. has had on getting the name of that certificate embedded in dozens of places as if it's something other than what it is. Um, and the other thing would be to, to get universities to understand that they are denying their students supervisors who are mm -hmm. perfectly qualified supervisors who choose not to purchase that certificate. So, I mean, that was more successful in audiology. That was more easily successful in audiology because a lot of private practices, um, you know, I had a premier private practice and people were told they couldn't come to my office to, to do their, their practicum because nobody in my office had the C's and we wouldn't play the game. I mean, there was just yeah. no way playing the game. Yeah, so, so students miss out. Right. So it's another another so. word they could use is like denying access to quality education outside yeah. of the classroom. Correct. The quality supervision outside of the classroom. And kind of documenting that they were told no, they couldn't go to that place because that person didn't have their C's. What what else? I mean, as we kind of wrap this up, like what else have you noticed as far as the shift in culture at ASHA or the shift in culture of its membership base? Like, what do you, what have you seen evolve recently and what are you hopeful for in the future? I, you know, I haven't watched speech language pathology. I mean, I really uh, not, so yeah. I'm only audiology. And I think that in, among audiologists, there are still a, a bunch, um, there, there are people who buy that certificate who have nothing else to do with ASHA. They don't go to their conventions. They don't do anything. Um, but there's still a group of audiologists who, who are kind of uh, go along to, you know, go along, just go along with it. It's not a big deal. It's 200 and some dollars a year. Just go along with it. It makes life easier. Don't challenge it. To me, it's a matter of principle. And and if 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 there's such a thing as ethical behavior by a, by a, professional association, just as there's ethical behavior by practitioners, what ASH is doing is unethical. It's unethical, it's dishonest. And, and I don't think that our professional organizations should run themselves unethically while insisting that there are codes of ethics that we as practitioners need to follow. So it's more of a, a matter of principle to me. 
um, I, I always said before I die, I want that certificate to die. I just want it, or, or at least I want there to be honesty about it. And so far, I, that's not been true. So we're five months closer with Fix SLP. We're five months closer. I have great hope. I was very excited to see what you guys are doing and that there's truth telling and I'm impressed by the data you've gathered. So keep up the good work. Anything I can do to be helpful, I will. Um, Keep going. I have a question. Hopefully you're comfortable sharing this. Do you have grandkids? Six of them. What do they call you? Mima. Okay, so you are the Mima fixer. That I am we've got Big Daddy Asha. We've got Mima Fixer. Like that is who you are. I yes. I just I'm so impressed. I'm so thank happy you. that, yeah. that uh, Dr. Whitelaw introduced me. us. I mean, when I saw that stuff, I, I have written to every audiologist I know, all my old and I'll tell you there are some folks I, I won't say it out loud, but I'll uh, text you. There are some other audiologists who were part of certainly just as active as I in in the work that AAA has done that I think have useful information to you about academia and uh, about uh, some of the particular challenges there uh, that you ought to talk to. Um, so I'll send you that information privately. I mean, I, I I certainly have not been alone here. There are people who came long before me and who have done in incredible work um, in getting audiologists to understand their status as autonomous practitioners. Thank you for all the work that you've done. Uh, you're very, very welcome. Inspiring all of us. Go get them. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. I think we're <laughs> so far so good. So far so good. Um, okay. I'm just going to wrap up real quick. If you love what we're doing, we do not have a Patreon like you're used to hearing. Um, we have something called a sustaining partnership. We ask that people just throw us $5 a month. You can find out more information about that at fixslp.com. I have got a review. I've got a review. Um, this one is from Runnin' Jess. She said, I can't thank Megan and Jeanette enough for this podcast and movement. They take the time to research issues on our behalf and give clear pathways on how to advocate for ourselves. From podcasts to social media, the information you will receive is so valuable. Asha better sleep with one eye open. These amazing professionals know how to find answers and they bring the documentation and proof. It will take all of us to solve the big national issues. They give us a way to embrace our autonomy and help move in the right direction. Thank you for helping all of us get clear on our vision. You are welcome, Run and Jess. That was, I randomly chose that. That was gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so if, if no one has anything else, everyone's good, Megan? Yep. And we're just going to tell everybody thanks for fixing it, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.